Hey guys, this is your host, Amber Vins Box. I'm here to let you know that we're back from our summer abroad in the UK and we're heading west, straight to Utah to kick off the next season of Like to Know It Influencer Radio. Tune in Wednesdays this fall for all new stories from the most successful influencers in the industry. Hit subscribe and never miss a new episode. Today on Like to Know It Influencer Radio, we are in Salt Lake City, Utah, in the offices of one of the world's most famous influencers, Rachel Parcell. From her dreamy Utah wedding to the Salt Lake City houses she's designed and documented, Pink Peonies must be one of the most pinned influencers on the web. While Rach has spent nearly a decade in front of the camera, Today, we'll jump back a bit further to get to know what prepared her for this journey and understand how a young Midwestern girl could attract the attention of millions and build a fashion brand from her backyard in the Utah Valley. Want to know where she learned to navigate digital media and who helped her along the way? What about the secrets to her perfect posts? Allow me to introduce you to one of our first clients and my dear friend, Rach. Rachel, we are so excited you're here and can't wait to learn more about your background, life at home with your wonderful family, and your secrets to success when it comes to making it in the influencer industry. Rachel, what was it like growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah? I loved it. I love that I get to call Salt Lake City my home. It's so beautiful here. We're surrounded by the most beautiful mountains, which I feel like have kind of become part of my brand that I've built here. But it's it's just a gorgeous place. It's super family-oriented. I'm really close with my family. I mean, it's a place I didn't think I would be able to build what I have built here. I always thought, you know, if I wanted to work in fashion, I would need to move to either L.A. or New York. So I love that I can do what I love and what I'm so passionate about from Salt Lake City. Most people don't know that Salt Lake City is actually on the same latitude line as Denver, Colorado. And so you're right. The mountains are here. They're so beautiful. They've really become a part of your brand. Did you guys spend a lot of time outdoors or what was your childhood like? So I come from a family of all girls. My poor dad. There's four girls in our family, and we are very much, we're girly. Like, we danced growing up. Um, We loved the color pink. We loved dresses. We loved getting dressed up. But my dad did force us to be outdoors. So we would go hiking all the time. We have a ranch in Colorado, speaking of Colorado. And we skied growing up. We would play pickup games with him, sometimes with basketball. So definitely... We were an outdoorsy family, and luckily, we actually caught the running bug with my dad. So we'll do, like, half marathons down the canyons together. My sister and him just did the New York City Marathon. You'll see us on the trails running a lot here in Utah. So what was that like growing up with four sisters? I mean, it was interesting, but amazing. All at the same time, we grew up in close quarters, so... So my parents, their room was downstairs, and then all the girls were upstairs. We had a laundry room up there. We were in charge of doing our own laundry. There was one bathroom, and then we had three bedrooms between the four girls. And we became very close, and 
my mom, her whole thing was, I bought your clothes, so it's not yours. So if your sister wants to wear it, she can. We had to share our clothes, which made getting ready in the mornings a little interesting. I'm sure for my parents downstairs who are listening to it all, fighting who's going to wear the blouse and who's going to wear the top. Like, it was always who's wearing what to school, and we had to, like, get out upstairs and figure it out and resolve the issue ourselves. And people, a lot of times, a lot of my readers will ask me, I have four daughters. You are truly best friends and sisters. How did that happen? Because I know sisters fight. And we did fight a lot when we were younger. But I think it's because my mom made us share our clothes and we shared a bathroom. So we just became so close. And then luckily we're just, our interests are all the same. We're just best friends and sisters at the same time. So I couldn't do life without them. When you guys were growing up here in Utah, something really tragic happened. Yeah, it was so sad. So it happened just about 20 or 30 minutes north of where we grew up, Elizabeth Smart. Everyone in Utah knows her. I'm sure some of the people listening have heard of her. So she was kidnapped from her home in Salt Lake City. She was a year older than I was. And this is, I think, I could be wrong, but I think I was 13 when this happened. I think she was 14. And it happened in the summer. And... It kind of like rocked the state of Utah. It it was scary. And they didn't know who it was for a really long time. And that whole summer we slept on my parents' floor. And ever since then, all my sisters, we slept in the same bed. So that's another thing. Like there were three beds upstairs, but we were all piled into one. Because from the time I was 13, I had this irrational fear that I was going to be kidnapped. I'm sure that made you guys really close. Yeah, it did. We'd wake up at night and be scared and the other person would have to talk the other person off the ledge of, I heard this scary noise. I don't know. So that experience definitely did bring us close together too. So growing up, you guys were forced to share clothes. You really came together over this tragic event that became a catalyst for you guys to have a closer relationship. And then... When did you start working? What was your first job? So growing up, I danced. So my job in high school was dance. So I danced on the school level, but also competitively. So I would go to school and then right after school, I would do dance company that was at the high school. And then right after dance company ended, I would get in my car and I would drive 25 minutes to go to my dance studio and I would be at the dance studio till like sometimes 9 30 or 10 at night and then I'd have another 25 minute drive home I would do my homework and then I would go to bed so I didn't have time for like really anything not even really a social life when I was in high school but on my dance teams it was nice because I had the opportunity to be in leadership positions so with my high school dance company, I would be in charge of the costumes. I was in charge of like coordinating costumes or coming up with what costume we were going to wear with what dance or the lipstick shade that's going to be our team lipstick shade that year. And then in college, I danced as well, which was nice. I got a scholarship for that. We were under athletics. So that was, again, like you had to be a full-time student to be on the dance team and to compete. So full-time student, and then we were dancing every day after class and then homework And then I got to be involved in costumes and makeup on that side as well. So after I kind of closed the chapter of my dance career, I started working part-time for my grandpa. I was a receptionist, but then I was also going to school full-time. So I think I had like two days off of school and I would work and catch up on homework or blog. It's like a little journaling hobby. And then I would go to school full-time. 
So you had shared with me one time a moment of kind of unexpected change during college where things didn't go as planned. What was that? Okay, so I actually got married young. I was 19. But in Utah, that is like so normal culturally, especially 10 years ago. A lot of the girls, like we would go to college. We knew exactly what we were looking for. We were ready to move on with our life. We didn't really party in college. We just like got to it, found a husband and got married. So I got married when I was 19. My husband was 25, though, and he had one more semester left of school. So he was a little older. That makes me feel a little bit better saying that I got married at 19. So I was on the dance team. So we would dance on the court. We'd have our pom-poms. We'd dance at basketball games. And once you're married, you don't really want to be a cheerleader on the court, like shaking your pom-poms. So I didn't do it that next school year. Um, and I decided that I'll work and then I'll do school, but they had an advanced jazz class that they offered at school. So I was like, perfect. I can still have my creative outlet. I can still dance a few times a week and I'm getting like a general out of the way and it's something that I love. So a few weeks prior, I had got my wisdom teeth taken out and I got dry sockets. And let me tell you, I've had other surgeries and that was the most awful. So I go to this tryout, and I don't know if I was, like, loopy from the pain pills or what, but I didn't make it. So to be placed in this advanced jazz class, you can sign up for the class, but for the teacher to actually, like, lock in the class, you have to show that you have the skill to be in the advanced level jazz class. So the first day of class, that's why they have that tryout, and then she has to sign the paper, then you have to take it to the counselor, so they'll actually lock in that class for you. So you go the first day and it's like a placement thing. And I mean, I've been dancing my whole life. There's no reason why I shouldn't have made it, but I didn't make it. And I remember when she didn't call my name, I went up to her and I was like, I was actually on the UVU dance team. I danced at the dance club on senior company. And she was like, sorry, you didn't make it. So I walked out feeling so defeated. And I was just kind of like, dance has been my whole identity, like my whole life. And I didn't make this silly advanced jazz class that I wanted to take And now I don't have a creative outlet. So I marched myself to the counselor's office. I sat down. I got the brochure. And at the time, I was doing communications and PR. And I didn't really love that major. But I was like, you know, adding in some dance classes, maybe I'll teach dance. I can do that. But once, like, I knew my dance store was kind of closed, I needed to find a new creative outlet. So I was looking at all the majors, and I saw graphic design. And I looked at all the generals and the prereqs you have to take for that. And it was like photography, 2D art design, 3D art design. You learn the whole Adobe suite. And that's something that I was always really interested in. So I thought, perfect. This is going to set me back in my path to graduating a few years, but it's worth it. So I totally like did a 180, changed my major. And I definitely think there was a reason I didn't make that. Like I needed to be led to this different path. And I'm so glad I did because if you want to be a blogger or an influencer, take a graphic design major because it helps me with everything in my business. These are the things that you wish you had known when they're happening. I'm sure you were distraught as anyone would be. And it's so upsetting and probably something you feel like you needed to recover from. But now it's interesting how, you know, God gives you these things where you've taken a path or a door is closed that you really didn't want closed. But now look at the blessing that that's been to you in your family's life. Every time a door closes, look for an open window. If only we knew these things when they were happening, we could have gone through it without a lot of tears. So in the Mormon faith, it's very common for people to get married at a younger age. Tell me what your experience with that has been like. I'll have a lot of people come up to me and say, you're crazy. You got married at 19. Like, do you feel like you missed out on life? Why would you do that? At the same time, they'll say, you are only 28 and you've done so much. How did you do that? 
And I, I'm glad that I got married young. You know, I didn't marry the first guy. I had a date like every night in college and I was really selective. But once I found him, I, I just knew what I was looking for. And so I was ready to take that next step. But I started my life when I was 19. Like I didn't do the dance team that next year. So I didn't have a scholarship. So I had to figure out a way to pay for school. And then I really loaded on the credits because I wanted to graduate as soon as I could. And, you know, you have a mortgage to pay and you have to hustle. Like you're in like the grind once you're married and you get pretty serious about life. So my husband started, he had one more semester. He did um, business and entrepreneurship. He finished that, then started his own business. And then while I was going to school full-time and working part-time, I just started like online journaling. But it was because I like had my head down and was working and so focused. It's been almost 10 years, but I worked my butt off from the time I was 19 to really like start you know, in something that ultimately became my career. It's incredible how that decision gave you a decade head start on not only becoming an influencer, but now creating your own line. I have a question for you. So you started your blog. What year was that? I started my blog in 2010, but at that time I hadn't even heard of like a fashion blog or that you could monetize a blog. So the trend in Utah was you get married and then you start a journal blog. In our religion, they really emphasize journaling. And I couldn't afford going to the fancy scrapbook stores. So I just started this blog online. It's like an online scrapbook, essentially, for my friends and family to follow like what I was doing on the weekends and vacations or family events, things like that. So I had no idea that I could monetize it. I was really just doing it as a hobby, I was the receptionist for my grandpa's construction company. When the phones weren't ringing, I was bored. So I would just blog about all these things. And then our wedding was featured on the cover of a magazine in Utah a few months later. And I had girls in Utah look me up on Facebook. And then they found my blog spot link that then directed to my blog. And they would see these journal entries of like me and my husband or me and my sisters. They could care less what I was doing. They just wanted to know what my lipstick shade was, where I got my earrings, where I got my dress. And so I started, I started linking those. So in 2011, what did blogging mean to you? Or what did that mean for you socially? Or did it mean anything at all? Once I started actually linking dresses and the things I was wearing, I had someone leave a comment and say, there's a lot of girls in New York and L.A. who are doing this. They call themselves fashion bloggers. Here's a link. And I think they sent me cupcakes and cashmere's. So she was the first blog that really opened me up to like the fashion blogging world. There were women like taking dedicated outfit pictures So when I saw that, I was like, okay, so I don't have to go through all these comments. I'll just start labeling where I get everything. So I started doing that. And actually in middle school, I went up to this girl and I asked her where she got her top. And she like scanned me and was like, I can't remember. And I'm like, you totally remember. You're just not telling me. So from then on, I was like, I don't ever want to be that girl that won't tell people where they got their stuff. So when I had these girls asking me questions where I got things I really wanted to tell them so I started just cold linking to like Nordstrom J Crew, and then I saw this cupcakes and cashmere thing so I asked Drew I said will you take a head-to-toe outfit shot of me and then I linked it all and I think it was so new people didn't really know what it was so some of my friends from high school or college kind of stopped talking to me I think they were embarrassed like what is she doing why is she taking head-to-toe pictures of herself 
and linking it. So 2010, it was like journaling phase. 2011, it was me really like without realizing it, starting to monetize what I was doing. Um, But at the same time, people were confused because it wasn't popular then. The term influencer for what we were doing didn't even exist yet. Yeah. Being peonies has always been such a positive place online and such a, a helpful place. But, you know, you mentioned that socially people didn't necessarily always understand it. And I'm sure, you know, from the outside in looking at a group of four sisters that are all really beautiful and athletic and really talented, that was probably tough for some people in your community. There in the beginning days of blogging were these like forums where people would be tough on influencers and definitely, you know, I've been a target of that. I know you and your sisters have been a target of that. Was that the first time that you kind of felt friction as you moved forward in this industry? Yeah. So I think I went through my whole life and I think I was probably really naive. I thought everyone liked me. I thought I was a likable person. I got along with people. So I just went about my life thinking everyone likes me. And then when I started my blog and friends kind of started to essentially like laughing behind my back and anyway, they were a little embarrassed and I was like, okay, they don't get it. That's fine. And I can see how maybe that could come across because I'm taking a full picture and it was not popular. They don't get it. They don't understand that this is like a whole like world of fashion blogging and sharing style inspiration with other women. And it's this community of women. They didn't understand it. All they saw was the pictures of me frolicking on a sidewalk. So I was fine with that. But once I found the negativity online from strangers, that was hard. That And even finding some people who maybe did run in my circle or maybe knew someone who knew me and they were talking negatively, that was hard. It was the first time in my life that I was like, wow, like people just genuinely do not like me. Some people. They don't. And it was hard. And I think sometimes, especially when you first see it, it's easier to focus on the negative than the positive And you like go down into this dark hole. So every time I would read it, it almost becomes addicting. I felt this dark cloud enter the room. So I just had to stop cold turkey. If I was going to continue doing what I was doing and growing this career, I had to stop. What they say can't hurt me because I have no idea what they're saying. And it's very freeing. How do you think that you've taken that lesson and applied it to your influencer business today? Or how has it really even changed you as a person? I think you have to just have a good sense of who you are. And someone's perception of you sometimes has more to do with them than even you. And so family is everything for me. So if someone's rude or wants to leave a comment that's rude, they don't know me personally. So why would I take any merit? to what they say because they're like creating an assumption or they're spinning something in a way that I didn't intend it. And so for me, I'm just like, I care about the people who know me, what they think of me and my family. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because there's such a bigger picture than even like the influencer business. So when I first heard about Pink Peonies, it was back, I think, in 2012, and I heard people in the reward style office talking about this new influencer based in Utah and how she was doing amazingly well and had kind of come up overnight, it felt like. And Baxter, my husband, and I had the opportunity to, to travel with you and Drew for actually several years. And I think you've had a really strong peer group that has been you know, supportive of you. When would you say blogging changed your life? Honestly, when I got on the reward style platform, because I was so isolated in Utah and Pinterest was a huge driving factor. Everyone was pinning in 2011, 2012. 
and you know you click back on the image and it drives you right back to the site so that was a huge driving factor but in terms of like monetizing I was cold linking to these other retailers I had no idea you could be paid a commission and your team reached out and they said you know hey we've noticed that you're driving sales like you can actually sign up for this platform and for a second I was like is this a scam I don't even know if this is real will I even make money from this so I signed up for the network and I was able to recognize the power behind it. Like, wow, the top that I shared or the lipstick shade I shared, women have actually been clicking and buying that for the last eight months. And I had no idea. I didn't think anyone was really shopping what I was linking. I thought maybe they would look. But to see, wow, like I'm actually converting what I'm sharing into sales. That's cool. Like maybe I can start charging the boutiques that are sending me free clothes. Maybe I can, you know, start adding on a fee right there. And then when I was in that top 10 group of reward style, that's what really skyrocketed it because the retailers in LA and New York, when you guys would send that newsletter out, they would see me on there. Okay, well, who's this new girl from Salt Lake? This is a new audience that maybe we haven't tapped into yet. Let's hire her. Let's, let's do a collaboration with her. So over the years, you've continued on your entrepreneurial endeavors and doing all kinds of new things. You've done product. And I think you actually mentioned that before even starting the blog, you had a hair bow line. Yes. I've had lots of businesses. Tell us about some of those businesses. Um, Yeah. So when I was in college, again, I, I just need my creative outlet. And I come from a family who they all own their own businesses. They're very entrepreneurial. So when I was going to school full time and working for my grandpa, my sister was having a baby. I was like, well, maybe a way I can make money on the side is I'll design and make custom hair bows for babies. So I started that. Capri, my niece, was my model. And then I was like, okay, maybe with my graphic design major, I'll do like custom wedding invitations. So I think at one point I was sewing custom skirts. And I did have a few orders, but then I quickly learned if it's not on my body, I can't drape it on me or the person. I can't do it. So that ended quickly. But I mean, as a childhood dream, it was always my dream to have my own clothing line. But as I got older, I realized if I'm going to stay in Salt Lake, that's probably not possible. But then with, you know, the blog business, monetizing that, being able to see the back end analytics that was actually selling what I was sharing and really creating one business, I then had the capital and the analytics and the knowledge to then go and do my own collection because I knew I could sell someone else's clothes. Why couldn't I sell my own? Have you always wanted to have a fashion line? Yeah. So I need my mom to dig it up, but there's this program in Utah. It's called Reflections and you submit, it's like something creative. I submitted like an artwork and I drew a picture and it was like a, a desk with me and a dog. And it said, like, future businesswoman, it could happen. And then it had, like, dresses everywhere. I wanted to be, like, my own businesswoman, have my own business, and do women's clothing in some capacity. And so it's just so funny that that's literally what I ended up doing. You know, I love you and your sister now getting to work together and both having your own lines. And it almost feels like it's something genetic with you guys that it's just within you to be so entrepreneurial. Are you doing things now with Isla Rose to encourage that with her? Or where do you think that that comes from? Well, it definitely comes from my family and definitely my mom, like ingrained in us girls that we literally can do anything we want. So I think that was a big thing. And then with Isla Rose, you know, 
for me as a working mom, it's such a double-edged sword. Like I get mom guilt a lot, but I always try and flip it positive. So, you know, when I drop off at preschool, I'm like, okay, you're going to go to school and you're going to work hard and I'm going to go to work and work hard. Or my Jackson, my little boy, he actually just started preschool today. It was so sad. He was like totally fine with it. I was not okay with it. He had the perfect hair. He was ready to go. I slicked it. My husband's like, honey, I think you slicked it a little too tight to his head. But he was totally excited. But before when I would leave to work and he would be home with our nanny and he'd be like, mama, don't go. And I say, mama's got to be a working girl. I'm going to go work and then I'll be back. And he would get his little briefcase and be like, mama, I'm a working man. So I just, I hope that I'm teaching them that you work hard and you're passionate and you can create something. So tell me about the beginning of the line. You knew that you wanted to have a fashion line. You had the analytics that showed you that you were capable of selling certain clothing at a certain price point. Then what? So my agent called me. It was after I did a collaboration with, I think, Nine West. And she was like, I cannot believe how many booties you sold for Nine West. Like, this is insane. You, you need your own line. And I was like, funny you say that because I want one and I've been thinking about it. And they were like, well, let's get you a licensing deal. Let's do jewelry. And so I was like, okay, great. What's a licensing deal? I don't even know what that is. So What is that? <laughs> so basically a licensing deal is where you are the face of a brand, but you're not the investor. You're not handling manufacturing and you have some say, but the end of the day, because you're not the investor of it, sometimes your opinion can be overrided. But it's an easier way to do products and it's less expensive and someone else is taking the risk and the the financial risk as well. So I did that and it was such a good learning experience because I was not the investor so I didn't have control of everything that I wanted to. And it ended up being a huge blessing in disguise because that contract was a long contract. But the quality wasn't what they said it was. And then I wasn't able to have say on design. So I hired myself an attorney. I found an attorney in Utah. I was like, okay, I don't even know who to ask. Found an attorney. We worked for months. I got out of that licensing deal, cut ties. And I scraped together every penny that I had. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. I initially wanted to do dresses. And they were like, no, we've done this a thousand times. Trust us. Let's start with jewelry. So once I got out of that, I sat at my kitchen table and I told Drew, like, I need, I think my initial investment was either like 70000 or $100,000 that I had, those all coming from earnings from what I had built with Pink Peonies and saved over time. And I was my own investor. I was sketching things. And for me, it was so important because I wanted that control. I wanted to be able to control who my manufacturer was, the quality, what the designs were. I didn't want to have to answer to anyone else. Because if it was something my reader was touching and purchasing and going to wear and my name was going to be on it, like it needed to be exact. And so that's why I decided to kind of take the harder route and go do something on my own. And then that's when Rachel Parcel Collection was born from my kitchen table. So from idea of I want a line to selling your first dress, how long did that take? It was about a year. But luckily, I had a friend in Salt Lake that kind of helped me speed that process up. And everyone knows him now, but no one knew him then. So I had met him at a blogging event. It was like a, 
Utah Icon event. It was an award thing for Utah bloggers at the time. And he had a clothing line called Kingdom and State. And he like had his collection there and he was giving some of the bloggers some of his pieces. And we were chatting and I was like, oh, I'm going to Fashion Week in a few weeks. If you have anything you want me to wear a photograph, like I would love to support you. So he gave me some of his things. I went to New York, shot him, and we became friends. And I, I remember thinking, like, I love his fit. His fit's amazing. So this person is Tan France, who we all know and love. So he was my business partner. So I hadn't talked to him in about a year. And so I did my sketches. I found a manufacturer. I got my first samples back. And I put them on my little sister. And, like, the boobs were, like, so baggy. And she was like, this is terrible. If this sells, everyone will turn it, like, this is awful. So I was sitting in my closet. I'm like, okay, I don't even know where to go from here. And I looked up and I saw that dress hanging in my closet of Tans. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I need to call Tan because I love his fit. And that's what's not working right now is the fit. So I called him. We actually met at Nordstrom Cafe. We had like a four hour meeting. I like brought my reward style analytics. I was like, okay, this is what I can sell. You don't even need to invest in it. I just need you to help me with my fit. And so he was like, yeah, let's do it. So he helped on all the fit with Rachel Parcell, kind of like established our fit standard for us. So I followed Drew on Instagram and I remember launch day and you guys sold Buku's of product. And there's a picture of you guys kind of standing at the back of a truck with just boxes. It looks like a U-Haul and oh, yeah. the boxes are from the bottom to the top. What did that feel like? Well, okay. So we ordered as much as we could with as much as I could invest. So... We sold out in a day, which was amazing, but also, like, you shouldn't sell out in a day. Like, you should have more product than that to have, like, the momentum keep going. But I bought all that I could. So we sold out, which was so exciting. But we didn't think we would sell out in a day. So as we're getting orders, we were using his office space as, like, our little warehouse. And the night before, we went to Costco and we bought, like, those bookshelf rack things and we went to like staples and got like plastic bins to put all the product in like it was so like a mom pop shop that we were doing like it was not a big production on the back end of things so as we were getting orders we're like okay Emily Megan Amy you need to come down here you need to pack orders like we did not realize we were going to get this many today like we're so behind and we need to get all of this out so it took us, I think we were a little behind on shipping because we just were not expecting it. But by the time we got it all boxed up, my husband has a trailer and it was like totally full and he drove it and he like hand shipped the first collection of Rachel Parcel from his trailer to the post guy. Like it was nothing fancy or glamorous. How do you and Drew divide tasks? You hear about the blogger boyfriend or the blogger husband. What's Drew's role? So my husband is, we call him like the handyman. He literally, you give him a task and he can figure out anything. I think that's because he's a builder. So he grew up building with his dad and then that's what he does now. He does commercial real estate. So like he built out our office space. He's built all of our homes. He's really good at building those plastic shelves from Costco for our um, warehouse with the blog. So my mom took all my pictures before. And then once we were able to monetize it, I was like, I think I need to get a better camera. He's like, all right, well, let's like research it. I'm like, I think I found the one, but like, I need you to be able to use it to take the picture. Like, I know how to use it because I took the photography class 
but now you need to. And he, like, figured it out. Like, he totally stepped into the role of a blogger husband. He'd be like, okay, do you like this angle? No, okay, like, what other angle do you want? He was so good and patient. And he did help for a while with Rachel Parcell. He helped on, like, the back-end, like, business side of things. But it got to a point where Rachel Parcell was growing so much and the blog side was growing so much. And now we had two kids. So he like sometimes was staying home with the kids while I would go and have meetings and conference calls. And, you know, I'd travel to New York or LA, but he's so talented at what he does that we just decided we can outsource that. He shouldn't be hindered on his talents because he is so good at what he does. So I was like, honey, I'm hiring a nanny and I'm hiring a photographer and you are going to go and you are going to do what you are so good at and you run with it. Like you don't need to be those things for me. So for us, we're definitely, he's not like the traditional blogger husband, but if we're on a trip, he can take a really good picture. You guys are a fantastic team. Is there a motto that you live by or that, you know, the way that I hear that Drew treats you and the way that you think of him and wanting him to be successful in his own way too. It's, it's honestly, it's very inspiring and it's definitely got to be a big piece of why you guys work. How do you think about marriage and your relationship? So Drew's love language is service. And I think for us, it's just serving each other and being selfless. Like if he knows I need help with something, he'll drop anything and he will help me figure it out. And I think For me as well, you know, as I was growing my business and seeing my husband kind of step into the shadows of it, not complaining at all. He didn't say one word. He was happy to do it. But I knew how talented he was that that wasn't fair for me to do that. So I was just like, you know what, honey, like you go do your thing. I think for us, it's just thinking of each other and putting each other first. We've talked about Drew and Tan. Who are other mentors that you have in your life and in your business? So Jamie has been a big one. You have been a huge one to me as well. I mean, just our meetings personally or, you know, sitting and listening to you speak at the conferences. So inspiring. And honestly, like, I think a lot of us influencers wouldn't have the businesses that we have without you and what you've created. So you've been a big one. So thank you. But Jamie has been a big one. And Jamie owns Beauty Bio, for those listeners who don't know. Jamie O'Banion. She's incredible. So Jamie O'Banion was on season one of Influencer Radio. So you can go back and listen to her episode. And she also had fantastic advice there. She has so many good nuggets. Definitely go back and listen because she's so inspiring. So I first discovered Jamie on Instagram because she was actually wearing one of my dresses. And I was like, who is this beautiful, tall, blonde woman? wearing my dress with her two cute little girls all matching like she's me with blonde hair I just I love her she's so incredible so that's how I first discovered her and then we connected through Instagram and then we were at a retreat together and she kind of spoke to all these influencers we were all moms we're all sitting there about juggling roles and wearing a lot of hats and you know, being a working mom and I always struggled so much with mom guilt and she's the one that told me you say you're going to go to school and you're going to work really hard and I'm going to go here and work and we're both going to work really hard and then we're going to come back together and I'm going to tell you what I did and you're going to tell me what you did and go team. As a family, we're a team and this is what we do and we're in this together. 
So for me, that helped me so much. And then also like trying to bring them in and make them feel like the businesses, whether it's Drew's business or my business, that they are a part of it. Like Jackson will literally have a hammer and be like, mama, I'm building you a house right now. He totally feels like, you know, he's like, I'm a working man. So that has helped a ton. But after that discussion, everyone was going to bed and she grabbed me and she was like, Rachel, come here. I want to talk to you. And she's like, you're doing so well with your collection. Like, what's your game plan? Do you have any retailer set up? Like, when are you getting into retail? I feel like this is your next step. And I was like, honestly, I'm kind of in this on my own. And at that time, Tan had taken a step back. He just got his role with Queer Eye. So now I was just doing the full operation with my amazing team. But I was kind of like leading the way solo. And I just said, I've never done this. I have no idea who to even email to like get a meeting with someone. Like I know our sales numbers and our collection will sell itself. I don't even know how to get in the door. And she was like, well, I had someone help me and I wouldn't be where I am without some of those contacts and opportunities that someone else gave me. So I'm going to help you and then pass it on. You pass that on to the next entrepreneur who's a woman. And I just loved that. I love her sense of women empowerment. And, you know, she did help me in my journey. And I love that she said, you know, go pass that on. I think it's amazing. What excites you? My family, my two adorable children, my business. I'm so passionate about it and what I do. And also like the women who follow me. I slayed out an hour at the end of my day to like get on my DMs and just chat with the women who follow me. And I love the relationship that we have. I'm inspired by them. I love following them. I love seeing them wearing, you know, my collection and being able to build a relationship with them. To me, that's so exciting. With all of these businesses and just now the new contacts that you have, whether it's Tan or whether it's Jamie or other people who are pouring into you, what do you feel like you're learning lately or what have you discovered lately? I think as I've gotten older, I've learned to be more confident in myself and no question is a dumb question I think going back to that first licensing deal I was afraid to ask questions because I thought it might make me look dumb or they might think of me differently but I think when you ask questions that's power and that shows that you know what you're talking about and if you don't you know that you don't know and you want these questions answered so you do know so I think for me not being afraid to speak up I feel like You know, when you're sitting in a boardroom and you're 25 years old and you're with executives and they're all old, it's intimidating, but you're obviously there for a reason and they have you in there for a reason. So I wish that I would have asked more questions and been more confident in what I created. And as I've gotten older, I'm glad that I finally recognized that. If you were going to start your entire business over again today... In modern society, with modern culture and modern platforms, what do you think you would do? What would you tell your your young self? Oh, that's a good question. I would say just don't care what other people think. Like, if you want to do something, just do it. I think a lot of times young people, like, they have an idea in their head, but they're too afraid to actually do it. And that is something that innately, I don't know why, if I get an idea, I'll try it. And, you know, I had like three businesses before I had Pink Peonies, which ended up being a great influencer business. But the three before didn't work. But I I wasn't afraid to be like, hey, guys, I'm selling headbands. Want to buy some? 
and no one bought them and that was okay and then I started making coffee filter lampshades and then like custom skirts that I couldn't sew for people so then I had to be like sorry like I actually can't sew that for you I know I said I could but I can't but if you have something you want to do just try it because you never know and sometimes something will stick Rach, as you grew up, the blog grew up too, and you started in fashion and dabbled in some jewelry and also built a really beautiful home. And we talked earlier about people finding you on Pinterest just from your outfits, but a lot of people know like the Rach Parcel house. So has that become a business of its own? Yeah. And actually, when we talked about this prior, I said no. But then as I thought about it, I was like, no, it totally is. So I think some people think we just built these pretty homes for the blog. But so my husband's a builder and every home that we've ever lived in, starting with our first home when we were first married, he built and he like kind of designed. So when we were engaged, he bought a house that he had actually been on the frame job of when he was 18. He went and served a mission for our church for two years. He went to Peru. And it's like self-funded. So you have to pay for it. So he built that house and sold it. And that's how he paid for his mission for two years, which he learned how to speak Spanish, which was like awesome for what he does. He uses it every day. So once he got back from his mission, he went to school. We met. When we decided to get married, that house was for sale. So he bought it. And we, while we were engaged, he dug out the basement to create a basement apartment. So I would go visit him. He'd be on the Kubota digging the dirt out and he poured like concrete stairs. So we'd have a separate entrance, created this little basement apartment. So we bought the house. We lived in the basement and then we rented up top. So we didn't even have a mortgage because they would pay it. And then we just lived in the basement. That's and so I, smart. I honestly swear it was infested with spiders. When I think back of our marriage, I'm like, those were the dark days. It was like so depressing being in that tiny basement. But honestly, it was such a good investment because three years later, then we turned around and sold it and the market went up. So we popped money on it. Then we went and bought another house. This is when the market was like really starting to take off. I designed it. He built it. We lived in that home for, I think, four months, sold it, popped again. Like, and a follower so bought that house, right? Not that one. This was before the next. So we popped that one. Then we did another house. And at this time, we were really able to do like more of the custom details that I was wanting. That it was actually based on a house that I had blogged about like two years prior. So anyway, built that. And we lived in that home for three years. And when we decided to sell it, we sold it in one day. And it was to a woman who had followed me. She lived in Seattle. And her kids were going to school here. So she was going to build it in Seattle. But then when she found it was on the market, she was like, well, my kids go to school here. We'll just move to Utah. And she bought my house that sold in one day. So crazy. It is crazy. (laughs) Rach, we've loved growing up with you and getting to be part of your journey, whether that's building the blog or selling headbands or designing a house or, or now getting to actually wear your dress line. What's coming next that we can be a part of to support you? Our September collection launches on September 18th and you can shop it at Nordstrom, which I'm so excited about. And I think it's one of our best collections yet. And there are some coats, which is a whole new category launching for us, which I haven't shared yet. So that is an exclusive announcement for Like to Know Influencer Radio. But the coats are 
incredible and they're all at like such a good price point. So if you go in the Like to Know It app, you can actually go to product search and search for Rachel Parcel, her full name, and you can see all of the influencers who are supporting and wearing her product and get ideas for how to style it. Rach, you have over 100,000 followers on the Like to Know It app yourself. What can we find on your profile there? So on my profile, that's where you can shop my life. So you can shop you know, my home decor, you can shop like what my kids are wearing, what I'm wearing, my lipstick, everything. I share it all on that. Okay. And a parting tip for aspiring influencers, is there an app or a filter or a tool or something that we can either download or use or apply today to help us to grow our own businesses? Okay. Someone told me this and it was kind of eye-opening. They said, forget about your feed. Stop overanalyzing it and just share because think about how many times you open up Instagram. They said, you're not going to be annoying, but the more you share, the more you'll be discovered. So don't be so picky. And sometimes it's the off-the-cuff content that performs better than the editorial post. So just share and don't overthink it. I think sometimes we overthink it because we want it to be so good that in turn it ends up hurting us. I totally agree. I get stuck with this all the time. That's a fantastic tip. Rach, thank you for being so generous with your time. And we're really excited for your collection launch in September. We will be there to shop it. Don't forget to follow along with Rach at Rach Parcel in the Like to Know It app. To sum up Rachel's story in her own words, if you are passionate and you work hard, you too can create something really beautiful. To shop Rachel's head-to-toe everyday looks, her chic workout style, or to get access to all of the details of her beautiful new home, follow her at Rach Parcel in the Like to Know It app. The Like to Know It app is the only place where you can go to search for products and get 100% shoppable results, all in the context of the lives of real, influential people who use those products. Search for products like trench coat, over-the-knee boots, stroller, white marble table, and get results from real people who use them. Like to Know It product search gives you an incredible contextual experience that cannot be found anywhere else. Join our community by downloading the Like to Know It app on the App Store and Google Play.